0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. It's the 20th day of May 2021. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake up call on Sports Country Radio. Thanks for spending some time with us this morning. Another beautiful day in the Northeast, another warm day. Gotta love it. No humidity, sunny skies, and uh, looking forward to getting outside, doing some work. But uh, we're going to spend the next hour talking about uh, what happened in sports yesterday. And another day, another no-hitter. I mean, it's gotten to be routine now, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, I I looked yesterday, um, and... uh, Back-to-back no-hitters. I had I, I had totally lost sight of that fact that uh, uh, there had been a no-hitter. Spencer Turnbull throws one on uh, we- uh, Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, Corey Kluber, who m- pitched all of one inning last year and uh, didn't pitch much in 2019 because of injuries, comes back and throws a no-hitter for the New York Yankees against the Texas Rangers. It's the second time the Rangers have been no hit this year. They joined the Seattle Mariners who have also been no hit twice. Matter of fact, the Mariners were no hit twice this month. Um, but it is the sixth no hitter in the major leagues this year. Second in two nights. Uh, it is the first road no hitter for the Yankees since 1951. Uh Unbelievable. The uh, By the way, the last time there were consecutive no-hitters uh, was in 1969. Jim Maloney of Cincinnati threw one on April 30th, and Don Wilson of the Houston uh, Astros threw one on May the 1st. Uh, so obviously a rarity, but six no-hitters already. The season record is seven. So uh, that's going down. And it almost looks like all right. Who can't throw a no hitter? I saw somebody on social media last night posted a you know kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek joke. But uh, hey, Pedro, Pedro Martinez, why don't you come out of uh, retirement? You never got a no hitter when you were playing. This is your chance. <laughs> because honestly, I mean, you know, uh, Spencer Turnbull was an unlikely no hitter for Detroit on Tuesday, and. Based on what's happened with Corey Kluber with the injuries the last couple of years, you didn't expect that to happen. And for Kluber, it had to be kind of, uh, well, I don't know if satisfying is the right word, but he pitched for Texas last year. He threw one inning before he got hurt, ended up having surgery, missed the season. And, of course, uh, then signed with the Yankees as a free agent after the season. So to be on the mound where you threw your lone inning of 2020 to throw the no-hitter was... uh, unreal. And look, and what I love about Klu- what Kluber did last night, this isn't a guy that throws 100 miles an hour, you know, as as everybody does today. Uh, his fastest pitch was 92 miles an hour. But he threw curveballs and sinkers and cutters and changeups. He mixed it up and did a great job. Only threw 101 pitches. We had we had guys last night throw 110 pitches in five or six innings. He threw 101 in 9 and got the no-hitter. He was one walk away from a perfect game. He walked Charlie Copelson in the third inning. Outside of that, uh, he would have had a perfect game. Not too many scary moments. There was one, actually, in the ninth inning. Uh, David Dahl came up as a pinch hitter and ripped the ball down the right field line, and Tyler Wade was playing right field. Tyler Wade is not a right fielder. He's an infielder, so he was playing kind of out of position, but he got a great jump on the ball and made a good running catch on a ball that was hit hard. Uh, but, uh, so, I mean, that's great for Kluber and he's 35 years old. This is a guy that, you know, has once a couple of Cy Youngs, uh, a guy that just in, in 2018 threw 220 innings. I mean, this is a guy that's used to going out there every day and, you know, every fifth day, I should say, and throw in seven, eight innings. So this, this was kind of a, a blast from the past. And if you're the Yankees, you're praying that that means this guy's all the way back, and this is what you can expect from now on. I mean, it'd not, that would be a huge boon uh, for the New York Yankees, no question about it. Uh, but uh, and Kluber, who never smiles, actually smiled after the no hitter. So uh, great, you know, great for him. Um, and as far as the Yankees go, obviously a huge win. It keeps them on pace with the rest of the division because uh, uh, everybody else won last night. And the Yankees just continue to play better and better. As we say, the cream is rising to the top. The Yanks have won seven out of 10. Um, and uh, you know, the Red Sox still sitting in first place, but just barely, Tampa's right behind him, a game back, Toronto a game and a half back. Uh, so the Yankees will throw Domingo Herman today in the finale of their series down in Texas. Herman uh, is three and two with a 362 ERA. And uh, Dane Dunning will get the start for the Rangers as they try to salvage one here. Um, the controversy, I guess I guess that's the right word, or the, uh, the discussion that has gone on the last couple of days over the 3-0 count home run by Yermeen Mercedes continued yesterday. This just doesn't seem to want to die But uh, Tony La Russa was asked about it again yesterday, and he doubled down on his comments. And he said, look, you know, he said, if you're going to tell me that sportsmanship and the respect for the game of baseball and respect for your opponent is not an important priority, I can't disagree with you more. He said, you think you need more runs to win, you keep pushing. If you think you have enough, respect the game and the opposition. And then he finished the comment with one word. He said, sportsmanship. Um, and again, I look, I see his point of view, be, being an old guy and, you know, the get-off-my-lawn guy. I mean, I, I see that. But some of his own players have publicly disagreed with him. Tim Anderson, Lance Lynn, uh, both said, uh, you know, and Lance Lynn said yes. he said, look, you can't get mad when there's a position player on the field and a guy takes a swing. And as I said yesterday, uh, and I talked about it on the Boys of Summer po- podcast I did with Paul Arnold and Eric Braun last night, I, I, you know, you have to put some of the onus here on the Twins. If they're going to throw a position player, you get what you get. I mean, if you're going to throw a position player, are you respecting the game of baseball? You know, in my mind, no, you're not. I've never thought the idea of a position player uh, pitching was a good idea. Uh, it's a joke. So, uh, but it, this isn't, you know, again, at, at the end of the day, the Chicago White Sox have the best record in baseball. They're in first place. You know, uh, Tony La Russa may be 76, but this to me is not a 76-year-old guy issue. This is still the old school versus the new school and I but, but but look, I'm telling you. There are other guys in the major leagues that would have been just as upset about this. I would be willing to bet you. Now I could be wrong. But I'd be willing to bet you that Aaron Boone of the Yankees wouldn't be happy if Aaron Judge was up there swinging from the heels with a 15-4 to lead in the ninth inning and a position player on the mound. I know Terry Francona wouldn't be. There's other managers. Joe Madden wouldn't be. There's other managers in baseball that would take, uh, you know, that would not look kindly on that. So it's not just a Tony La Russa issue. I firmly believe that. Brian Snitker from the Braves, he's as old school as they come. This is a guy that's been grinding in the minor leagues for years. Uh, I guarantee you he wouldn't have been happy about it either. So, you know, we've prob- hopefully we've heard the end of this until the next position player gets on the mound. But again, the one thing I point to, well, to actually two things, and I pointed this out yesterday. 556 previous times, 3-0 count, with a 10-run lead or more, and nobody has swung at a 3-0 pitch, up 10 in the last 20 years, until your mean Mercedes did it. So... So if 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 you just look at that, everybody understands you don't swing. But Mercedes did, and he again, you know, it's it's a different era, different time. I get all that. But I look at that and say, well, you know, obviously so, everybody else has recognized that Mercedes just didn't. And the other part of it was is that the next inning, the Minnesota Twins threw the ball behind Mercedes. Mercedes when he came up didn't try to hit him in the head just threw behind his legs just to send the message now it got the pitcher and the manager ejected but it also shows that the Minnesota twins were upset about it so it's not like this happened in a bubble and nobody else was upset about it only Tony Tony La Russa. and that's what's being kind of pictured here is that La is the only guy that's pissed and that's not true it's not true uh, Trevor Bauer weighed in and you know and God love him Trevor Bauer never afraid to express an opinion and he said look uh he said uh hey hey batters, if uh, I'm down three on the count, feel free to swing, you know, and if you hit it out, then I deserve it. Uh and, and Alex Wood, a guy who is uh, pitches for the Giants, who's having a nice year, said when a when a another team sends a position player out, all the quote unquote rules, you know, go out the window. So again, it's not it's not going away, but it, it is what it is. Um the Red Sox last night, wow. After getting absolutely bombed the night before, 9 nothing, and looking absolutely clueless, they came out last night, five runs on six hits in the first inning. Kike uh, Hernandez, who was tearing the cover off the ball uh, down in Worcester on his rehab start, came back up and, uh, well, three for five last night. Scored a couple of runs, although, you know, at the top of the lineup, a good way to get things started. Uh, Alex Verdugo with a couple of hits. Sander Bogarts with a couple of hits. Mark, J.D. Martinez hit a bomb. Verdugo hit a bomb in the first inning. I mean, it was just, it, it, it was just the Red Sox figured things out. And one of the things that was pointed out, Pete Abraham pointed this out in The Globe this morning, that in batting practice prior to the game, it seemed like the Red Sox were all—all all the hitters were working on figuring out the wind and trying to figure out a way to swing to negate or take advantage of the wind, regardless whatever way you want to look at it. Because the night before, they had balls that they ripped into the wind and they just died. Well, now this—you know—yesterday, they kind of used the wind to their advantage. And by the way, good for them. And B, if you can do that with the win, why can't you, like in batting practice, say, "Hey, I'm going to beat the shift today." <laughs> you know, let's let's work on hitting the ball the other way and beating the shift. I mean, if you you know, I, just saying. Uh, but a great first inning, and then they made it hold up. Um, you know, even Bobby Dalbeck had a hit yesterday. For God's sake, of course he struck out three times. You know, uh, and I don't know. You know, again. You know, Dahlbeck has hit a few home runs now. And, you know, he does just enough, just enough to make you want to say, we got to stick with this guy. We got to give him another chance. You know, Franchi Cordero uh, hit the snot out of a ball last night, you know, but he was one for four and he's hitting 170. You know, uh, you you wonder at what point do the Red Sox make these moves that they need to make. We know that um, Danny Santana is ready. In Worcester, he's uh, recovered from that foot infection. I suspect he will be in the Red Sox lineup in Philadelphia this weekend. absolutely believe that. Uh, and who who goes down? My guess is Cordero. Because uh, Santana can play the outfield. Santana is a very versatile guy. I mean, they they're going to have so many guys. Remember when Brock Holt was like a novelty for the Red Sox because he could play everywhere? Well, look at this Red Sox lineup that you have this year. You have Kike Hernandez, who can play all around the infield, and he can play you know every position in the outfield. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Marwin Gonzalez, same thing; he can play anywhere. You're going to have Danny Santana, another guy who can play everywhere. I mean, talk about a Swiss Army knife of players. It gives Alex Verdugo a lot of flexibility with this lineup. So, I suspect Santana is up probably in Philly on Friday. I think Cordero goes down, and I think Bobby Dalbeck's time could be running out if he doesn't pick it up. You know, the strikeouts obviously are a concern. You know, but the Red Sox can't continue to have to rely on four guys. And that's really, you know, when push comes to shove, I mean, the, the, the game by Kike Hernandez aside last night, the Red Sox have been relying on four guys, for their offense, it's been for Dugo, JD Martinez, Xander Bogarts, and Rafi Devers. And that's it. You know, Christian Vasquez, now Vasquez hit a home run in the seventh inning last night. Great, good for him. But he has been part of the problem. Uh, you know, he was only hitting 250, and he's been in a, a heck of a slump. Marwin Gonzalez is hitting 205, Dahlbeck 208, Cordero 170. I mean, you look at this, and it's a miracle. I mean, seriously, it is nothing short of a miracle that the Red Sox are still where they are with the number of guys in this batting order that have been anemic. So, you know, to me, it's a no-brainer that you bring Santana up and you are putting him in and you're going to play him every day somewhere, you know, and, and you know this is a guy that has proven he can hit on the major league level you know everybody talks about Kike Hernandez right and and we all want Kike Hernandez to hit better right but the thing that you have to keep in mind with Kike is great as as great as he is in the clubhouse as flexible he is in terms of where you can play him in the field Kike Hernandez has never been a good hitter ladies and gentlemen you know, Kike Hernandez is a 241 career hitter. And you could say, "Well, you know, he didn't he didn't play, you know, full seasons." Look, he got 400 at-bats uh with the Dodgers two years in a row. In one year he hit 237 and the other year he hit 256. Uh he hit 215 in 2017 and 300 at-bats. You know, he hit 190 with 200 at-bats in 2016. He hit 300 once. In 2015, when he got 200 at bats with the Dodgers, he hit 307. Other than that, he has done nothing offensively. This is not a great offensive player, you know. And I think sometimes people are expecting more out of Kike than than he's capable of giving, you know. Which is why I find it curious that Alex Cora continues to hit him at the top of the lineup. Now, I guess you have to hit somebody there. Uh, you know I would rather frankly have seen Verdugo at the top of the lineup but uh, but the Red Sox are gonna have to do something and Santana is going to be a good first start and uh you know and uh, another guy I forgot to mention Hunter Renfro and look Renfro has made some great defensive plays in the field but he's another guy that is just struggling offensively so the fact that the Red Sox you know right now are uh, eight games over 500 with this lineup. And everybody said, well, the Red Sox are going to score runs. They're going to score runs. Well, you know, they can at times, but it's only it's it, – it's been four guys, and that's a problem. Uh, now, the other part of last night, another positive sign, Garrett Richards continues to pitch well. Now, he got off to a rocky start, gave up a run in the first inning. You, you get stake to a 5 nothing lead, and he gives up a run in the first. Matter of fact, it was nearly a train wreck. He ended up loading the bases in the first inning. Uh, he walks the leadoff guy, Marcus Semien, Uh, and then uh, Bo Bichette doubles, Vlad Guerrero doubles, and he walks Teoscar Hernandez. So now the bases are loaded with one out. Dave Bush has to come out and say, look, dude, you know, calm down, and he did. Uh, six pitches later, field his choice, strikeout, inning over. You know, he still ended up walking four guys in this game, which is a little more than you'd like. But six and two-thirds, pitches into the seventh inning yet again, picks up his fourth win. Garrett Whitlock came out, ends up giving up a home run to Simeon when he comes in. Uh, you know, but again, Whitlock's been so good that, I, you know, I'll give him about a pass on that one. Um, but you look at Richards in his first four starts. Had a 6 ERA. He had walked 13 and only struck out 12 in those four starts and he was only averaging four innings a start. Well, in his last five starts, he's 4-0 with an ERA of 2.20 and he's averaging more than six innings a start. This is this is good. This is what the Red Sox need. Uh and uh you know, Adam Avinio came out of the bullpen last night. Uh was a little shaky for a few pitches but settled down. Uh, Ended up giving up a hit, but a scoreless inning. You like to see that. Josh Taylor mopped up uh, in the ninth. But uh, a solid win for the Red Sox. And, uh, you know, look, they need to win tonight. They need to go to Philly. You know, you look at what's going on. This Red Sox schedule coming up right now is absolutely brutal. For the next few weeks, all right, all their opponents are teams that made the playoffs last year. You know, so it's great that they're eight games over five hundred, but we have to remember that you know they had the Detroit Tigers and the Baltimore Orioles, and you know, uh, you know now now they have to worry. Now they have Philly, then they have come home and they play the Braves for a couple. Now, they play the Marlins, who made the playoffs last year. Now, granted, the Marlins aren't as good as they were last year, but that's still not going to be an easy out. And then they have to go to Houston at the end of May into the first part of June for four games. Then they have to go to the Yankees. Then they come home and they play the Astros, the Blue Jays, and the Braves. They don't get a break until they play the Royals on the 18th of June. And then, okay, so you get a three-game break with the Royals, and then right after that, what do you get? You get Tampa Bay and New York for five. So, you know, this is a make-or-break time in the schedule. You know, and frankly, if they are in first place in the middle of June still, they're going to win the division. You know, I'm serious. I mean, if they can go through this gauntlet they have to run right now and play the Yankees and the Astros and um, – you know, and the Braves, as much as they have to play those teams, if they can get through that, they'll win the division. But we got a long, long way to go before we get there. Um, the other team that uh, you know, you looked at the scoreboard last night, if you're watching, and uh, the Orioles jumped out early on top of the Rays, and you're thinking, oh, jeez, maybe, maybe the maybe the Orioles can do us a favor. Yeah, well, maybe not. That didn't last too long as the uh, Rays exploded for six runs in the last three innings. Three in the seventh, three in the eighth, and they end up beating Baltimore 9-7. to Uh, Ryan Yarbrough got the start for Tampa. He was not good. Uh, John Means got the start for Baltimore. was great early, but they ended up getting to him. Uh, He ends up giving up four runs and six hits and six in the third innings. Didn't factor in the decision um, as Adam Plutko got roughed up when he came in. But Randy Rosarena, a couple of home runs for the Rays last night. Uh, A great defensive play in the outfield. Uh, G-Man Choi, who recently made his return to the lineup for the Rays, Uh, uh, another big hit, a couple of them actually. He went two for two, came off the bench uh, to pinch hit for Mike Broso, and then uh, ended up two for two in the game. So he has enjoyed coming back. And this Rays team is dangerous. They are now 25-19. and They've won six in a row for the first time this year, seven of the last ten. And they sit in second place right now, right behind the Red Sox. And, boy, uh, you like their chances to sweep the series today. Rich Hill takes the uh, hill, no pun intended, uh, for the Rays. Dean Kremer, who is 0-3 with a 5-8-1 ERA and has lost his last ten starts dating back to last season, uh, takes the mound for the Orioles. So the Red Sox – Uh, aren't going to get a lot of help. And, again, with that uh, schedule they have right now, they've got their hands full. It's 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk some hockey. The Boston Bruins, boy, showed some grit last night. It was a a beautiful thing to see. And another example of why I love uh, playoff hockey in the NHL. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back. To the wake-up call here on a Thursday morning, uh, playoff hockey last night. And I'm telling you, I've said this, and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face, it just doesn't get any better than that. Even if you're not a hockey fan, you have to appreciate what you saw last night. Although, I say that, my wife sat next to me last night and watched uh, most of this Bruins game. I'm not sure she appreciated it as much as I did. But uh, anyway, the Bruins end up winning this game uh, at 548 of the second overtime. Craig Smith. Uh, with a wraparound goal and the uh, Bruins win it and uh, I'll tell you what they take a two to one series lead they looked in deep trouble in the third period um, and then they picked it up and they completely outplayed Washington uh in the uh, in the overtime they outshot Washington 19 to eight in the uh one plus periods of overtime and the the winning goal It was, frankly, the Bruins were lucky. Uh, Ilya Samsonov, the goaltender for the Washington Capitals, went behind his net to play a puck along the boards. And he stopped the puck from going around the boards. And Justin Schultz, his teammate, was right there. And it looked like he was going to just stop the puck and leave it there for Schultz. Well, Schultz just... Didn't play the puck. He left it there. I don't know if it was some kind of miscommunication between the two of them or what it was, but Craig Smith was right there and said, I'll take that and picks it up and skated to his right, comes around the front. Samsonov was late getting back in a position and wrapped it around for the goal and the Bruins win it. I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, And as I said, I mean, they were outshot. um, Eight, nothing on even strength in the third period. And the Capitals were just buzzing. I And Tuka Rask had to make a couple of huge saves, and the defense did a great job of not giving Washington too many quality scoring chances. But, man, what a great game. Taylor Hall had a goal in the second period. Uh, Brad Marchand had the tying goal in the third period. Uh, the Bruins never led this game. They were playing from behind the entire game. And, you know, every time that uh, you know Washington scored, the Bruins would tie it. Well, then Washington scored again. Fortunately, Marshawn tied it up, and the first lead that the Bruins had uh, was the game-winner in overtime. So up two games to one now, and uh, they will play again on Friday. And uh, Game 4, before they head back down to Washington for Game 5, Game 6 would be back in Boston, and then if there's a Game 7, of course, since Washington is the higher seed, they would uh, get the home game. So the Bruins would like, I mean, (laughs) like, I mean, their, their best-case scenario is you win game four at home, you go back down to Washington with a 3-1 lead, and then you've only got to win one of the next three. Um, you know, you got to like their chances. So we'll, we'll see. By the way, did you see EA Sports, who uh, produces um, uh, the uh, video hockey game, and uh, they ran a simulation uh, last week, and their simulation says that the Bruins are going to win the Stanley Cup. They're going to beat the Vegas Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup final. And uh, Bruin fans are like, from your lips to God's ear. And, and after, after game one of that series, you didn't think that was going to be the case. But it, who knows? Maybe. Let's hope EA Sports is right. By the way, one other interesting thing. The last 12 times that the Bruins and the Capitals have played in the playoffs, they've all been one-goal games. 12 straight games. And of course all three games of this series this year have gone into overtime. It just I'm telling you, it just it's so much fun and the intensity is just uh, it's great. Um and how about this one? You know, we we we're coming out of the whole COVID thing right now, you know, the CDC says you don't have to wear the mask all the time and you know, people are kind of relaxing a little bit. Well, yeah, yesterday the NHL announced that just just before the start of the games yesterday, the NHL confirmed that both the St. Louis Blues and the Vegas Golden Knights had both been impacted by false positive tests. Multiple players on both teams had had tests returned that indicated they were positive for the virus. And all these tests for both teams, they came out of the same lab. And when the, I guess when they were looking at it, there was some kind of red flag, some particular uh, result on the test that everybody kind of said, "hmm, that's weird." And what the, but what they did, obviously, they immediately isolated all those players and they tested them again. The retests, all, every one of them came back negative. So that confirmed that the initial reports uh, were false positives or there was some kind of mix up in the lab that resulted in the false positive. So all the players were then eligible to play and everybody breathed a sigh of relief. Um, St. Louis is already missing um, their leading scorer. David Perron, is already uh, one of their three players that's on the COVID list. If they had lost anybody else, they were screwed. They lost game one to Colorado. Uh, they can't afford to lose anybody else. Now Vegas is, uh even their series with the Minnesota Wild at one game apiece on Tuesday night but uh again you know they can, they can ill afford uh, to have guys going down in the playoffs so uh, fortunately they turned out to be false positives uh basketball last night uh we all know that the Los Angeles Lakers because of all the injuries they've had this year uh were ended up in the play in game in the western conference against the Golden State Warriors and who else but LeBron James wins the game for the Lakers uh, with about a second left in the game. He, or actually, with about a minute left in the game, he buries a three-pointer, and the Lakers end up winning the game one hundred three to one hundred. Uh, and by the way, it was a bomb. And what what makes it even more remarkable was just before he made that shot, he got poked in the eye. So when he was talking about it after the game, he said, um, I was seeing three rims. My eyes, you know, my vision was blurry. I was seeing three rims, so I just shot at the middle one. (laughs) He said, uh, by grace, I was able to knock it down. Uh, But he was lucky. He finished with 22 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists. It was his sixth triple-double of the season. Uh, But uh, that was a big win for them. So they will now advance, and they become the number seven seed seed. Uh, in the playoffs as well. The same position that the Boston Celtics are in. The Celtics will open their series against the Brooklyn Nets on Saturday. And don't be surprised if that series is over very, very quickly. It's a best of seven. I fully expect that the Nets are going to sweep that series. I hope I'm wrong, you know, but I, I mean, look, (laughs) that the Nets are just loaded. As I said, the Celtics played him three times during the season and looked pathetic. They looked completely overmatched, and that was when Jalen Brown was healthy as well. They don't have him. Now, again, you can say, well, they never had their full team when they played him. There was always somebody out, whether it was Kemba Walker or whoever. I get that. Well, they're not going to be at full strength again. No Jason Tatum. I mean, excuse me, no Jalen Brown. So I think this one's over in four. You know, I, I, and if they if they win one, good for them. But I'll be I'll be surprised. Uh, all right, let's uh, shift back to baseball. The New York Mets looked like they were on their way to sweeping their series over the Atlanta Braves yesterday and sending the Braves to five games under five hundred. Well, unfortunately, uh, that didn't happen. Jacob Barnes gives up a home run to Ronald Acuna Jr in the ninth inning, and the Braves come back to beat the Mets 5-4. to Uh, David Peterson got the start, didn't pitch badly, but couldn't get out of the fifth inning. Charlie Morton pitched really well for Atlanta last night. It was his best start of the season. He went six innings, only gave up on run and two hits. He struck out eight, didn't walk anybody, uh, and a great job out of the uh, Atlanta bullpen. Well, no, actually, after A.J. Minter came in. Minter gave up three runs, but they were all unearned. Uh, But then uh, Jackson, Martin, and uh, Will Smith did a great job at the end, and uh, Martin strikes out two uh, in the ninth inning to end up picking up the win thanks to the home run by Acuna. It was on the, I believe it was the second pitch of the ninth inning. Jacob Barnes uh, had gotten out of the eighth inning no trouble, but they brought him back out for the ninth, and uh, Acuna ended that one in a hurry. And so now the Braves uh, sit three games, or excuse me, four games, No, it is three games. It's three games behind the Mets, sitting in third place. They're a couple of games behind the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Positive news for the Mets yesterday. Noah Syndergaard threw his first rehab start yesterday. He pitched four innings for their Class A team down in St. Lucie. And uh, Syndergaard, in those four innings, he struck out six. Didn't walk anybody. Gave up one hit. Uh, his fastball was sitting at about 95, 96 miles an hour. And, of course, you know, again, coming back from Tommy John surgery, he's not going to just go out there and let it loose. Uh, but they say he is on track to join the team either the first or second week in June. And right now, the Mets need this guy back in the worst way. They Right now, the, the Mets don't even know who's going to start uh, – on the weekend, they've got Marcus Stroman lined up. They have today off. They have Marcus Stroman lined up. Oh, excuse me. No, they have Peterson lined up today. They they finished their season or series today. Uh, they have Peterson, and then they have Stroman tomorrow, and then they don't know who's pitching Saturday and Sunday. Jacob DeGrom is on the IL. They just had to put Taiwan Walker on the IL uh, because of that pull on his side. Uh, Seth Lugo is still down. They So they have no idea who's starting this weekend. They are likely going to have to dip down into the minor leagues or, play, or try to do a couple of bullpen games or something over the weekend. And then they'll have Peterson coming back on Monday. They're hoping Jacob deGrom, who is going to have a rehab start, uh, I believe, tomorrow, they're hoping that deGrom can come back and pitch uh, next Tuesday. And then they'll have Stroman. But again, they, right now they have two holes in that lineup because it looks like Walker's going to be down for at least 10 days. So they need Syndergaard back, but he's still two to three weeks away, but obviously a very, very good sign uh, as he comes off uh, the, uh, uh, the rehab start looking very strong. Um, so everybody is trying to hand the MVP now in baseball, or at least in the American League, to Shohei Ohtani, and look, I, I think we need to pump the brakes on that a little bit, and, and here is why. Um, and people are thinking, well, you know, Mike Trout's down, and so now this is Ohtani's chance, and you know, wh- well, because he's a great pitcher and he's a great hitter, and all right, but let's let's put this in perspective for a minute. Shohei Ohtani got the start last night for the Angels and didn't pitch out of the fifth inning. He threw four and two-thirds innings. He gave up five hits, a couple of runs. He struck out five. He walked two. I mean, it was okay. All right? I mean, you know, he threw, what, uh, 72 pitches in four and two-thirds innings, 43 for strikes. He was okay. You know, and, and so, you know, good for him. So then he leaves the mound. He goes out to play the outfield so we can get another at bat. He goes one for three at the plate. His only hit was an infield single, like a bunt single in the infield. He's hitting two seventy two. I know he leads the major leagues in home runs right now with 14. I get that. And I get that he is doing something special because we don't have two-way players in baseball. But before, let's not be handing him uh, MVPs. Yes, it's amazing what he's doing. But he's not, you know, it's not like this guy is shutting people out. It's not like he's going out there and throwing six, seven innings every start. You know, he's not out there ripping the ball 300. This, this, he is not putting on, he's doing something special. Yes, absolutely. But this, he is not performing at an MVP level. I'm sorry. That's, to me, that's not MVP material. It's special, yes. And everybody wants to keep comparing him to Babe Ruth. You know, Babe Ruth, he's the only one that that hit and pitched at the same time. I, I, I want you to keep this in mind. Babe Ruth actually only played both positions for two years. After he got traded from Boston to New York, he pitched for the Yankees a grand total of 5 or 6 times in his career with the Yankees. All those years in New York, this is a guy who started like 3 games for the Yankees. And it was on like an emergency basis. He wasn't a, he didn't play, he didn't pitch anymore. When he was in Boston for the first 5 years of his career, he was a pitcher. He would, you know, he did not play the outfield. But in 1919, Ruth threw 166 innings and he had uh, 317 at bats now here is where we get into here's where we get into and this is the reason I brought this up this is where we get into MVP conversations that year that Ruth in 1918 he was he threw 166 innings he went 13 and 7 with a 2.22 era and then in 317 at bats he hit 300. With 11 homers and 61 runs batted in, far better than what Otani's doing. Okay, and, and and the other thing I want to point out is when he threw those 166 innings the year before when he was just a pitcher for the Red Sox, he threw 326 innings. So they cut his workload in half on the mound um, to not wear him out. And then in 1919 he pitched again. It was a hundred. He pitched 133 innings. That's all. Went nine and five with a two nine seven ERA. Then had four hundred and thirty two at bats for the Red Sox. Hit three twenty two with twenty nine homers and one hundred and thirteen runs batted in. That's an MVP. Now, if you tell me that Shohei Otani's going to pitch one hundred and thirty three innings, hit three hundred and hit twenty nine bombs and drive in hundred runs, I'll give it to you. Give him the MVP tomorrow if he's going to do that. But he's hitting two seventy two. Yes, he's got fourteen homers, but you know he's not tearing the cover off the ball. And he's not pitching deep enough into games to even qualify for victories, although I know victories have been devalued. But his numbers are not that spectacular. You know, I mean, if you look at his pitching numbers, you know, and again, I'm not trying to dump on this guy. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of perspective. You know, he's pitched 30 innings this year in six starts. 30 innings. So he's averaging five innings to start. Let's calm down about this guy. And I, you know, look, in 30 innings, he struck out 45 guys. That's pretty good. But he's walked 22. You know, so let's, you know, let's calm down. This is not an MVP, but that's the headline I saw this morning. I was like, really? And last night, as I said, he didn't get out of the fifth. And Aaron Savali of the Cleveland Indians, a uh, native of East Windsor, Connecticut, where my kids grew up, seven innings, four hits, two runs, <coughs> and picks up his sixth win of the season. He's six and one with a three three zero ERA. Uh, James Karinchak picked up his fifth save, but the Angels go down, um, and they manage just five hits off of Indians pitching. So again, Otani is special, but he's not an MVP. It's 50 minutes past. the yeah, hour. we got to take another break. We're back in a minute to wrap things up. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. Got just a couple of minutes left before we get out of here this morning. Uh, a few other notes around Major League Baseball. Uh, the Houston Astros uh, have uh, figured out. A, or excuse me. The uh, Minnesota Twins have not figured out a way to get past the White Sox. The White Sox win yesterday, two to one, despite all the furor over. You know, Jermaine uh, Mercedes, who, by the way, went 0-4-4 in the game yesterday. The White Sox had just five hits yesterday, uh, but it was enough as they beat Matt Shoemaker and the Minnesota Twins 2-1. to Lucas Giolito, eight innings, struck out 11, only gave up a run and two hits. The only uh, uh, run he gave up was on a home run by Nelson Cruz, his 10th of the season. And the Minnesota Twins fall to 13 games under 500, and the White Sox now 10 games. Over five hundred, so uh, a a good win for the White Sox last night as they uh, figure out how to uh, deflect the noise and still get the win. I had mentioned the Houston Astros. The Astros with a win yesterday. Uh, they are red hot. They thumped the Athletics yesterday, eight to one. Uh, the Astros have now won eight of ten, and they sit just a half a game behind Oakland in the American League West. A great start for Zach Grenke, who has been meh for most of the season, but last night, eight innings, struck out eight, didn't walk anybody, only gave up a run on four hits. Uh, Frankie Montas pitched fairly well for Oakland, but uh, uh, the uh, Astros got to their bullpen. Uh, Jose Altuve, by the way, hit the first pitch he saw in the game out of the ballpark. He ended up two for six yesterday. He's now hitting three oh eight. He's hitting he's hitting better now than he has in years. He's, he's hitting the best uh, since the year the Astros cheated. So he's either figured it out or he's cheating again. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Yuli Gurriel was the real hero uh, uh, at the plate for the Astros in this game. Went four for five. uh, Drove in four runs. So uh, a big win for the Astros last night. Series finale is tonight. Cole Irvin will take the mound for the A's. And it'll be Luis Garcia uh, trying to win consecutive outings for the first time in his career. He is one and three with a 3.34 ERA. The Dodgers with another win last night. Uh, they come back to beat the Diamondbacks 4-2. to They scored three runs in the seventh inning uh, off of uh, the Diamondbacks' bullpen. Clayton Kershaw got the start, did not factor in the decision. Joe Kelly, former Red Sox hurler, uh, got the win with a scoreless seven. Kenley Jansen picked up his ninth save of the season. Uh, Mookie Betts. Uh, with an RBI double in this one. He's struggling a little bit this year. Mookie's only hitting .259, uh, but a, a good win for the Dodgers. They are now 25-18. and 18. They sit two games behind the San Francisco Giants. They've won 8 of 10 and 3 in a row. And again, as I said, the cream is starting to rise to the top. Uh, Merrill Kelly will pitch for the Diamondbacks today in the series finale. The Dodgers plan to go with a bullpen game in uh, that one. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. I hope you all enjoy this beautiful spring day. Uh, If you're here in the Northeast, temperatures are supposed to be in the mid-80s. No humidity. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that this time of year. We leave you this morning with some music from Lane Hardy. This is called Hurricane. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.